pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence here in this place and we pray that you would just come more Holy Spirit and I pray that the words that you've laid on my heart, that you would um, speak to us through them, Lord. Renew our minds and our hearts with your word, Lord. That we would have a passion for you and a passion for the things that are in your heart, Lord. We pray your blessing and your presence here, that you would warm us if we're feeling cold, that you would comfort us, that you bring us peace. But most of all, Lord, that we would draw close to you and draw close to the things that are on your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if I can preach this on, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> okay, if you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that'd be great. Too distracting. First <laughs> Corinthians chapter ten and verse thirty one. It says, Whether you therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. I want to. I was reading through because there's so much in First Corinthians, and we're you know we're reading through the New Testament, and it was First Corinthians, and it's like the love chapter and the spiritual gifts chapter, and we're kind of thinking, oh my goodness. And but there was a couple of words that just kept on coming back to me as I prepared this week, and it was. Just as I also please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. And I kept on thinking, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of others, that they may be saved. You know, we find in this verse a principle that governed Paul in his, in his um, actions and dealing with others. And I, you can call it Paul's magnificent obsession. His magnificent obsession that just drove him and steered him and in in where he was going to go and um, gave him the, the kind of oomph to, to sacrifice like he did. If you read through the life of Paul, he was an amazing man and, and uh, he, he gave up his life really for the sake of the gospel. But if you look at why he did that, it was a principle behind um, why he did those and how he dealt with others. And it was in that verse there that we just read that all men be saved. He said, not for my profit, not about me, but that others may be saved. I don't do anything for myself. I do it that others might come to know Christ and him crucified and that they may be saved. And not just that, that he would present every man perfect in Christ. Paul had a concern that all believers would grow in their spiritual relationship with God. So it wasn't just, I'll get them saved, but it was that they're they would grow, and often in, through the New Testament, you'll see that he wept over his converts, that he really struggled and, and you know, re- really wanted them to grab hold of the deep things of God and run with it and not turn back to their old way of life. And he suffered for the gospel in that, as that he emotionally put himself you know, out and into people's lives. And you know, that's what I call Paul's magnificent obsession, because he gave his life for something that he believed in. And it was what he said, you know, I've, I've, Christ has taken hold of me. And it's like he's, he's given me this life in him. And it's not I that live, that Christ that lives in me, that I might glorify him. And, and he was like, Paul had a concern that all believers would grow. 
just like Jesus did. You think about, you know, he could call it Jesus' magnificent obsession that he gave his life up, that we might be saved. And he didn't just, when he walked the earth, that he, he loved everybody and he, and he gave his life and his time into people. And he had a compassion for people that came, and if you see Paul's life, Paul had that same compassion for people. He was allowing Christ to live in him. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me, that I have been crucified. And then we can look at that and go, oh yeah, but that was Paul. But that's actually what being a Christian is all about. It's not me, it's not about me, it's about Jesus living through me. To live rich, full Christian lives, we ask to live the same way. You know, Christians means what? Little Christs. The word Christian means little Christs. And so we are to live like Jesus. Well, how did Jesus live? He sought out the lost. He sought out those who are lonely. He sought out those that nobody else wanted to know. He healed the sick. He freed those that are oppressed. He, he you know, gave his life up that people would come to know him and that would be set free. You know, Luke 4 talks about that. The, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to set the oppressed free, to set those at liberty. And you know, we're little Christ. We're like, we have Jesus within us. And he says, live it out. Live out what I started and, it, and it, that our magnificent obsession will be to save souls. That our magnificent obsession will to be encourage others in their spiritual walk. And if we don't have that passion for others to be saved and continue to grow, we're going to run out of energy because it, you know, you're not going to sacrifice unless you've got that passion from Jesus in your heart. And the way we have that is, you know what, it's not me that lives but Christ who lives in me. And it's so easy in our world where it's get this and go here and do this and what's success and what's, you know, what's a good life is it's completely different to what the Bible says. And it can be a little bit, you know, we come to church once a week, come to prayer meeting maybe on a Tuesday, but the rest of the week we're bombarded with all the things that the society values. And yet the word, every time we go back to the word, it says, you know, just seek me, seek my kingdom, seek my righteousness, seek the thing, way I do things. And, and all those other things will be added unto you. It's not like God wants to just have us with nothing, but he says, if you seek my kingdom first, if you have my magnificent obsession for the world, that they would be saved and set free and grow, then all those other things that we see everybody else having, all those other things, he says, will be added unto you. But don't worry about it, what you eat and what you wear and what you, you know, where you're going to go. He says, seek me first and all those things will be added unto you. So that's, that was Christ's magnificent obsession for us. And I'm for one, I'm glad he had it. And it was Paul's magnificent obsession that he, he just grabbed hold of what Christ had grabbed hold of him for. And when you were sitting here tonight, you know, Jesus grabbed hold of you for a reason. It was to set us you're free, it was to save you, it was to give you eternity, but it was also to do something in our lives to reach our world. We're here and we're saved for a, a, such a time as this. There's no accident that you were born when you were born. We're saved for a reason in this time and this hour. Often it takes putting aside our personal preferences and opinions and feelings and just serving others. It takes our prayerful evaluation to honestly examine ourselves regarding our impact as individuals. We can quite happily go along and go, yeah, yeah I'm doing all right, until you kind of sit back and reflect and prayerfully evaluate what sort of impact am I having on the world? What sort of impact am I having on the individuals and the lives of the people I meet every day? 
It takes our prayerful evaluation to, re to reflect in regarding our influence in our church, in our workplace, in our place of education, even in our own homes. It takes reflection and, and being honest and saying, what sort, of, what sort of impact am I having for Christ where I am in my everyday life? Because we can quite happily go along and just go from week to week, month to month, year to year, and not have an impact. You know, and Jesus, he's fiery. The Holy Spirit in us is fire. You know, we talked about it. He sets a fire on the inside of us. But, you know, we can squish that fire out. Oh, I'm busy. You know, the devil, if he can't get you sinning, you know what he gets you doing? He gets you too busy. If he can get you too busy to, to work into the kingdom of God, he's won. So he says, oh, well, no, they're, you know, they're full on for God, but let's see if we can get them busy with life. Because if you're too busy with life, you're too busy for the things of God. And we're creatures of habit, where we get up, we know you have to eat breakfast, shower, you know, go to work, come home, study, whatever we do, and we're creatures of habit, one thing after the other that we have to do. But you know what? Jesus, when you looked at his life, he would just do things out of the ordinary, like going to see this woman at the well, it was like an out of the ordinary thing, and I've spoken about that a couple of months ago, where he went out of his way to go where he's going to meet that one person. You know, there is God opportunities every day in our life. And, and it says in the Bible, make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. It only takes watching the news or reading the newspaper to know that we live in stuff where there is evil all around us. But we are the light of the world. But if, if we're too busy, if we're too consumed with our own thing and we're not really reflecting on how much impact we're having in our world, then the evil just keeps on, you know, growing. And Jesus says, hey... Come on, I called you to make an impact in your world, in your workplace, in your place of education, in your home, in your street, in the place where you go shopping. Now, how many times when we're going to a shopping centre do we stop and pray? Every place in which we put our foot, God says it's given us to us. But we get so consumed with, I've got to go to Woolies, I've got to get to the bakery before it closes, you know, I'm trying to find a car park, and we get so busy. And yet God says, wherever you go, I've given it to you. I've, every place you put your foot, I've given it to you. And if we believe that, this city would be saved. And yet we don't believe it. And God is calling us to lift our expectation and evaluate what sort of impact that our life is having. You know, it requires awareness of the effect of our conduct. Does our conduct diminish our witness or compromise the truth of the gospel in any way? At times we may need to refrain from exhibiting our liberty in Christ if it causes another to stumble. And Philip spoke about that last week. You know, it's, we are set free. We are, and who Jesus sets free is free indeed. But if we're going to, our behaviour or what our recreational or social activities is going to cause somebody else to stumble in their relationship or stumble in that they don't listen to your witness, then we need to say, hey, is that what I should be doing? If our mode of dress affect somebody else in the sense that they would lust after you. And that's not just got girls, that's guys as well. And causes them to stumble, then we need to consider it. And that's what, what Paul talks about in Corinthians is, you know, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. If my, what I do causes somebody else to stumble, then we need to think about it. What will I do if I know that I'm causing somebody else to stumble? Will I just go, well, I'm free to express myself. I should be able to do what I want. It's not that. It's about us stepping into maturity and you're going, what? I am free. I am very free. 
and I'm blessed, but I want to have that person come to know Jesus. And so I'm going to set aside me being able to exhibit all that that I know I'm able to do as causing them to stumble. You know, Philip talked about going to the nightclubs and, and partying and things. And if that, you're not going to stumble in doing that, then use it as a way to reach out to others. But if you're drinking, as it causes somebody else to go, oh, well, they're drinking, so I can drink lots and lots too, causes them to stumble, then you need to go, hang on a minute, maybe I need to talk to them about this. You know? And what we wear and things, you know, it's, it's like, yes, it's our way of expressing who we are, but don't let it cause somebody else to stumble in their walk. It is preferring others in their spiritual journey, as Paul says, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Now, there's a little acronym called JOY, and it's Jesus, others, yourself. If we, put, if we want full, fullness of joy, and Jesus said in John chapter 10, 10, he says, I have come that you may have joy. And the Amplified says joy, a superabundant, overflowing joy. That you may have life and life abundance. You know, and he... He's the he's joy giver. And it says, if we want joy when we put Jesus first, and then he says, then put others next, and then you come. And that is true joy. And often we get it around the wrong way, and we go, me first. I want to do this. I want to go there. I want to say this. I want to wear that. I want to drink that. I want to eat that. I want to, I want to, I want to. And we forget that Jesus is saying, seek me first and my kingdom. Love me first and then love others. And then your joy will be full. And then your joy will be complete. And then your friends and your family and your neighbours and everybody around will know there's something about you and say, why are you so happy all the time? Because I've got Jesus first. And too often in our world and in our lives, we get it flipped around the wrong way. Because that's what society does. And that's the enemy's plan to crowd out the word, crowd out Jesus in our lives so that we're just focused on getting through. Just focus on existing. Just focus on what makes me happy. And Jesus says, I make you happy. Jesus, others, yourself. That's true joy. You know, we have a covenant with God, and we spoke about that a little bit last week, about a covenant. And a covenant is more than a contract. And the covenant we have got with, with God is bought with the blood of Jesus. So it's sealed with blood. And that's a covenant that we are his children, that we are forgiven, that we're set free, that we're under his blessing and we're free from the curse and all those things, you know, and you kick the devil's butt with all those things. It's like we're free from the curse and we, and we have a covenant with God that he says, I have promised that I will do these things for you and you can, you can bank on his word. You know, you can take it to the bank. You can say, you know, God, you said, you said these things and you can stand on the promises in God's word because he has covenant with you. You know, but a covenant with God is more than a contract. A contract focuses on our rights. A covenant focuses on our responsibility. God knows his responsibility to us. It's, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises in his word. That's his covenant to us. He knows his responsibility to us and he sticks to it. He is faithful to it. He is, he is 100% behind his covenant with us. It is bought with the blood of his son Jesus, so he's not going to depart from it. He says, I'm alert and active, watching over my word to do it. If you take hold of his word and you believe it and you stand on it, his covenant is that he will do it. It's more than a contract where he's looking for ways to get out of it. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. But a covenant is responsibility. God knows his responsibility, but do we 
keep up our side of our responsibility. When we see our relationship with God as a covenant relationship, we're less likely to look for what we can get out of it. We're less likely to look for loopholes to do what we want to do and still get the benefits of salvation. When you look at that we have a covenant with God, you know, it's too often we can go, well, I'm saved, so I just want to be able to do this. We learn to stay committed for life and to acknowledge our responsibility in that covenant relationship. Now, too often Christianity can be seen as a get-to-heaven ticket when we receive God's grace and forgiveness and we've been given that so freely. It's just us receiving it. And we have. We have a ticket to heaven. We have his grace upon us. We have our, his forgiveness. But God's plan of redemption isn't designed just to do that, that we're just forgiven, that we're just set free, and, and then we can use it as a license to do whatever we want through the week. And too often, we're tempted to be like that. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, Jesus loves me. But I really would like to be doing this over here. I really am busy and, you know, yeah, I'll catch up with you later, God. I got up later, I went to bed, you know, and so I can't catch my quiet time with you. You know, our covenant with God isn't designed for us to have a self-centered life. To do about me and it's all about me and what I want. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. It doesn't say... I know the plans that you have about you. But sometimes we live like that, don't we? God says, I know the plans that I have for you. And we're going, Lord, you know the plans that I have about me? Yeah. God is the master designer. He is the creator, not us. We are the creation. Yeah? But too often we live like that. I have the plans, Lord. Do you know my plans? You know, I want to do this. And, you're in it. and then we try to back it up with what we find in here instead of waiting and saying, Lord, what are your plans? I surrender. You know that old hymn, I surrender all to Jesus, all to Jesus, freely give. Yeah? And, but, well, you know, modern life and society says, you know, have your plan, have your goals, and they're all good. But if you don't have God who is leading us, God who is guiding us, God who is setting a light unto our feet and leading and guiding, then it's our plans. And then we get upset and shirty with God because it didn't work out. But was it his plan in the first place? So we have to wait. And we only find out what it is when we wait in his presence. Be still and know that I am God. And when we do that, he will lead us and he will guide us. He promises he will. He's our shepherd. Too often we're going, God, I know my plan. Fit in with it, thank you very much. You said you love me, so fit in with my plan. Why aren't you fitting in with my plan? This is not matching up with my little plan. And we blah, 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 blah. And God's just going, oh. I'm sure he does. Our forgiveness is not so that we can go through the motions of Christianity. God wants us to be passionate, on fire, disciples of him. There is a warning in scripture in Revelation, actually, about anything less. And it says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor, nor cold, I will spit you out of my ma- mouth. Now he spoke to a church from Revelation and said, you're neither hot nor cold for me, so pleh. He wants us to be passionate, on fire, Holy Ghost, full-on Christians, disciples for him. Not just fans of him, but followers of him. Not just saying, yes, Lord, but then doing the other thing. Not just saying, oh, yes, I know your plans, but I'd rather do this. You know, because our life is like a mist. It's like, whew, and a year goes by. Can you remember Christmas in July last year? How fast has that gone? 
It's so, you know, a month is gone. Bang. And it's bang, bang, bang. And yet God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Good things. He says, I am your, you know, I am your master designer. And I have good works in it that I've planned in advance for you to do. But you're so busy that I can't catch your attention. I get this vision sometimes of God and we're like, you know, full speed ahead going, oh yes, I'm over here and over here. And God's going, woohoo, woohoo, just take a minute, you know. And, and because if he can catch our attention, you know what? He's got specky things for us to do. Ephesians 3.20, I'm going to read it from the Amplified because it's, Sounds better. It says, Now to him who by the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly. What was that? Superabundantly, far and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. I told you it was better in Amplified. God wants to do superabundantly above all that we could hope or dare or ask or think of. But it has to be his plan. Not, I know the plans I have for my life, but I know the plans that God has for my life because I've waited on him. And you know, you've got to do that every day. God, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to speak to? And that takes a whole mind shift a whole different perspective about what your life is all about. Because we have been brought up to just, you've got to do this. This is what you do, then you do this, and we're creatures of habit. But when we start to think, if God wants to do super abundantly, far above all I can think or ask or dream or dare to ask for, then his plan must be much better than mine. But I need to stop and ask. He says there's good works planned in advance every day for us to do. You know, miracles are happening all the time and God wants us to be in the middle of them. There's angels busy. Now, Philip and I were talking and it's like the angels hearken to the word of the Lord. But they must be sitting up there in heaven quite often twiddling their thumbs because the church isn't using the word. He says when we speak the word, then the angels, oh, hang on a minute. Dan and Joanna down there speaking my word. Woo, angels, bang. Okay, let's get busy. Let's make this happen. But when we don't speak God's word, we don't pray his word, we're not spending time on the word, we're focused on other things, the angels are sitting there going, what are they doing down there? Because they hearken to the word of the Lord. That's what it says here. It's alert and active, watching over his word to perform it. So when we get this stuff on the inside of us and God speaks to us from his word, which he will, because it's rhema, it's living word. When he speaks to us and it sets his passion on the inside of us, something goes bang when we read it, you know that's a word for you. And then you say, Lord, thank you, and you start to speak that word. Then the angels come to attention and they start to make it happen. There's angels zipping around all over the place making things happen. You know, did anybody watch the Bible? Did anybody watch the Bible series? I like the angels when they came into Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> and, they, and they were cloaked. And then they, they kind of were, right, let's get Lot and his family out of here. And they went, and their clothes came up and they're all shiny. And they were, with their swords, you know, and I said, that's exactly what they're like. They're kick butt angels. They're warrior angels. And when we speak God's word, those are the guys that come to our aid. You can get excited. You know, when you see the angels come out next, on Tuesday, you know, tape it, you're at the prayer meeting. But, uh, yes. Yeah, 
You can see them there. And that's a good depiction of what angels are like. And they are busy. You see, you think, all through the Old Testament, when you read the stories of God, the Lord went into battle for us, those were the angels that were in battle. They had the numchaka things, you know. <laughs> they had the two swords. We were a mess with angels. And it says that he has ministering angels for us to help us with the saints. We're saints. We're saints. And it says that you have ministering angels to assist the saints. Who's a saint? You're all saints because you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And it says, so you've got this mighty angel outside your front door. <laughs> no, I didn't, but I saw it. I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> and they're shiny and they're mighty. And it says they hearken to the word of the Lord. So when you go home tonight and you say, Lord, I'm just praying for my street, you know what's happening then? Lord, I pray salvation across the road. Lord, I pray that you make inroads into their Holy Spirit. I pray that you brood over that house and get them, God. Guess what's happening? The angels are coming. Whoosh! That's going to sound funny. <laughs> I have a video. But they're whizzing up and down your street. When you walk into your shopping centre and you're like, Lord, I thank you that every place my foot treads, you've given unto me, gets what happens. Because you're speaking God's word, the angels are coming because they're hearkening to the voice of the Lord. When you speak God's word, you're speaking what he says and the angels come to assist us and they are there. And there might not be just one or two, there's probably a whole horde of them. And if we all come into the shopping centre and do it, you're coming from that way, you're coming from that Hello, how are you going? You know what, if you've all prayed like that, guess what's happening in the shopping centre? You know, and we underestimate what is happening in the spirit realm. Instead of evil crowding in, instead of the people thinking, oh, I'm going to come in and set up this over here and brothels over here and a bikey gang over there and all the things that you can read in the newspaper, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be churches popping up there. There's going to be people getting saved over here. The school's going to have revival. Yeah? Because we've been praying and we've been speaking God's word and the angels... You won't forget now. Those shiny, specky angels, they're going to be listening. So next time you walk into your shop, into your workplace, even into your home, know that when you speak the words of God, the angels hearken to it. Preach myself happy there. You know, where is God in our thoughts most of our day? There is a saying that if the devil can't get you sinning, he'll just keep you busy. When you aren't seeking your own profit, it opens your life up to a whole new set of possibilities. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to work? Even where do you want me to take a holiday, Lord? One small action is better than a whole lot of good intentions. I read that this week. Now we can have the best intentions when we're sitting in church, getting all encouraged and fired up. But if we don't put action to that, then it's just a whole lot of good intentions. One small action. Do one small action tonight or tomorrow morning. What am I going to do for you today, God? One small action. And you see what that one small action, the next one, and the next one will do. It'll change your world. Yeah? One small action is better than a whole lot of good intentions. God is a good God and he doesn't want to take from us. He doesn't want to stomp on our parade or ruin our party. But he also is in covenant with us to save the world, to save the lost, to set the oppressed free, 
and to proclaim his favour. That's what Luke chapter 4 said Jesus came for. And he is in covenant with us. He is serious about that. He is 100% committed to his side of the covenant. But where are we at? Because he wants us to be passionate, on fire, 100% committed to our side of it. Because that's what covenant is. It's having, taking responsibility for what God has done. And his side of the covenant, he's 100% there. You know, I would love to live up in the hills. I, um, I think it's awesome up there. I, I grew up in the hills. I, it's all green and flowy and water. And I, dr I drive the kids up to the hills um, to school pretty much every day. And I'm like, oh, it'd be so nice up here. And you know, my soul loves it up there. My soul's like, oh. Or you go down south and you're like, oh, especially the chocolate factory. Oh, my soul loves it there. <laughs> It does, it, you know, it just has a little party, my soul and the chocolate factory. <laughs> Why so down coast on my soul? Yep, yep, <laughs> I'm in the chocolate factory. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> my soul loves it, but my spirit says, you know what? It's great up here, but I've called you to Coburn. My soul goes, oh, but my spirit goes, you're called to do something in Coburn. So for this time and this hour, that's where we are. You know, our soul isn't meant to dictate where we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. Our spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, shows us where we're meant to be and who we're meant to be reaching out to. It's a good thing to remember. Don't let your soul govern. Yes, it's part of it. We don't separate and compartmentalise our spirituality, but it's our spirit that soars. It's our spirit that goes, woof. It's a spirit that brings life. And the soul catches up. Yeah. Being sanctified is about being set apart in all areas of our lives, set apart to serve him and carry out his will. I was thinking about this just as I finish, and um, there's a scripture in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 to 22. And it says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honour and some for dishonour. In other words, some for noble, noble uses and some for common. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honour, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Therefore, flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. That scripture, I, I had that come to me many, many years ago when I was a little younger. And uh, I, I wanted, you know, I was like, God, I just want to do something awesome for you, God. You know, and we were going to these revival meetings and these mighty men and women of God were preaching them. And, and, you know, God had spoken to me and says, get out of the backyard. He'd had somebody prophesy over me and yell over me, get out of the backyard because I was like stepping back. And so I got hold of this that God wanted to do this, do, use me. And it was like he didn't want me sitting in the background as this timid, shy little thing that didn't think much of herself. So I had that deposited inside of me. And I know many of you have got that. You're like, know that God has called you and wants to do stuff with you. And yet, when I read that scripture, it was like there are vessels of, for gold and silver, but also for those things that are common. And when I read it, I was like, oh, what does that mean? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He says, you've got to learn to set yourself apart and that sometimes you're going to have to do things that are just for the common use. And I'm like, but I want to be up the front, and you know. And, and it was like, but we learn to set ourselves apart and, and to deal with our stuff and to, and to cleanse ourselves and to deal with our past. And if we just be faithful in doing the common things, like 
cooking somebody a meal or ringing up and making a phone call or just doing the menial things that we think are just in the background for God. He says that if we set yourself apart and are faithful in the little things, he said that he will give us much more to do. And I learned that as a, I think, a 21-year-old. 20, I was like, God, you've taken hold of me. But he says, yeah, but you need to learn to do these things, the common things, the everyday things, and set your life apart for me. And when you do that, then he says, then I'll give you more to do. Then I'll give you more to do. And I, I laugh at God because um, I was up in Kalgoorlie a few years ago and, uh, and I'd, you, you learn. And you, your life up to this point is, is because of the decisions, the little decisions that you've made along the way or the way you've reacted to circumstances. Our life is a sum total of all those things, how we've reacted or the decisions we've made along the way. And I was, you know, go, when you go back to a place and you go and you look at the same people that are still there and you go, oh, I've grown in that area. Oh, oh, no, I haven't. But at this stage, I was looking and I was saying, Lord, why is it that some people have grown a lot and others haven't? And I've grown this and I'm up here and, and you know, not judging, but just kind of noticing and reflecting on what God had done in me. And he says, you just have to learn to say yes to me. If you want to keep on growing, just say yes. Just say yes, because that's how you keep on growing. Just say yes when I ask you to do something, even if it seems like it's a common thing to do. Just say yes when I ask you to go and minister to that person, even if you think, oh, they'll think I'm strange or weird. Just say yes when I ask you to go and pray. Just say yes when I ask you to make a phone call or knock on somebody's door or walk across the road. Just say yes, because when you do that, all those little yeses will take you to where I want you to be. And the plans I have for you are far above what you could ask, think, or dare to imagine. Now, this is little me, who sometimes, you know, you, you have a 16-year-old self in your head. Well, my 16-year-old self in my head is still being transformed because sometimes I get this little, oh, I'm this funny, sick, you know, diseased in my knees, asthmatic, shy, timid, person who has messed up and sometimes you get this little flashback you know what that's not me anymore but I was in Kalgoorlie and that's how I met Philip I was like that and God rescued me and cleansed me and healed me from top to bottom and transformed me but I was there and I was preaching and in the same church where all those things that happened and the pastor's wife came up and said I want you to speak at our women's conference, which is done for you know, a couple of hundred women all over the region. They come from everywhere, even from Perth and all over the place. And I want you to speak at that conference. And the night before, God had said, you just have to say yes. Set up. You just have to say yes whenever I ask you to do something because, you know, that's how you keep on growing. That's how you keep on growing. It's just saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want. I surrender. I'll just do whatever you want. Send me, you know, those things you say. God takes you at your word. And then it's our choice and our decision whether we go with it and step into the plans God has for us or not. Well, I got pinned on that one because she said, would you like to do that in a year's time? And I'm like, yes. And now in a few weeks I am going to Kalgoorlie for a couple of hundred people to um, speak to the woman. And, you know, it's way out of my comfort zone. I'm like, oh, it's just me. I'm just, and your little 16-year-old self, so it's just me. I'm just me. And God goes, you're a mighty woman of God. You can get up and do that. But you've got this, I'm just me. That, you sure they want me to do that? I don't want their expectations to And you start to do all this stuff. But it's just saying yes. And just being prepared back when I was 20-something years old, just saying, Lord, I'll let you use me for common or for noble, whatever you want me to do. I'll be your vessel. 
whatever you want me to do, I'll be your vessel. And step by step by step, he takes you to where he wants you to go. And I was talking at a, a young woman, she's a mum with two kids, and she reminded Philip and I, their couple, um, their youth pastors of us, and we were at um, a pastor's retreat a couple of months ago, and she, I'm talking away to her and just encouraging her. And I said, you know, you're doing great. Just bring your kids along and not staying at home if you want to come to these things and just taking whatever you can get in the time you're there. And uh, she looked at me and she says, oh, just one day I will just want to be like you guys and, and have a church and be speaking and this. And I just kind of looked at her and I thought, isn't that funny? Because it just, she reminded me so much of me. And, she, she, and I was like, Really? Are you talking to the right person? Because you don't see yourself like that and yet people look up to you. Don't be surprised if people look up to you because they see something in you that they want. And Corinthians talks about don't let, you know, just be careful how we conduct ourselves but expect that people are going to want to be like you because they see something in you that they don't have. And kick that 16-year-old self, you know, because that's not who we are. We're redeemed. We're set free and God has a plan. And as Ephesians said, it is far above all we could ask or think or dare to dream or imagine. That is the plan and purposes he has for us. And to say, yes, Lord. And set yourself every day. Lord, what would you like me to do? And then rip roar through it. Because life goes like that. And a year goes like that. And God wants every year to be magnificent, filled with his magnificent obsession for the lost yeah, and make the most of the situation. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your awesome plan for us. We thank you that it is your plan. Lord, I pray that as this week goes, we go through this week, Lord, that we would have ears to listen and hearts to receive your plan. Not that we would be, Lord, know my plan for my life, but Lord, we would say, Lord, I want to know your plan. And not just off in the distance, but for each day. Give us hearts to receive and Holy Spirit that we would be sensitive to you where you lead and guide us. And that as we speak your word, Lord, that we know that your angels are sent to minister and help us. Lord, give us hearts that seek to save and lost, reach out to the lost, Lord. To have a magnificent obsession like Jesus did, like Paul did, like the great men and women who have gone before us did that this is our time and our hour and for us to make the most of every opportunity. And we do come against the distractions and the cares and the worries of the world, Lord, that we would have our minds on you and seek you first and that you would meet all our needs because you're all we ever need. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.